follow along with your own Bible or simply listen. If you need a Bible, there are copies of Bibles on the table. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who looked to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm John, one of the pastors at High Rock Church, and uh, it's great to be worshiping with you together with all of you. Uh, let me just open us with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning, with that we can gather together in your holy name to worship you. Open our spiritual eyes and ears that we may see and hear the wonderful things that you have for us in your word. Uh, have you ever experienced a close call in your life? A close call in the sense of being in imminent physical danger, like you could have died. Uh, I've experienced this once in my life that I can remember, and it was a year or two before I came up to Boston for seminary. And around that time, I was not, you know, I was kind of in this time in my life where things weren't going very well. I had just decided to stop pursuing medical school, and so I didn't really have a clear direction in life in terms of career and what I was gonna do. But to top it off, I had just been rejected by the first girl that I ever asked out. Um, <laughs> and so you can imagine I wasn't in a very good place, but one of the ways that this manifested was uh, that I wasn't sleeping very well. I had insomnia. And so one night after hanging out with a friend, I was driving home. And it was around two in the morning, and I was on the highway, and, you know, when you've driven a familiar road so many times, it just kind of becomes clockwork, right? You're coasting, you're on autopilot. And I don't remember exactly what I was thinking in the moment, but what I do remember is hearing just this loud thud and feeling my car shake and my body just like jolted to the side. And I realized that I was going almost perpendicular to the road across three lanes of the highway. And so my heart was just beating so fast as I was trying to just, first of all, get my car straight again onto, into one of those lanes but just trying to process what the heck just happened. And now you might have already put two and two together, but I fell asleep at the wheel. And I probably, I must have hit like the median and just bounced off. And I remember thinking to myself, that was, that was pretty bad. You know, I could have been seriously injured or killed. And later when I looked at the damage to my car, all I could find was this small scratch on the driver's side door. And the only explanation that I could think of that happened was and I ricocheted off of uh, one of those you know, orange and white traffic barrels that they put up when they're doing construction. Because, uh, I mean, I think if I had hit the concrete median, there would have been a lot more damage to my car. That's me. And so the author of our song this morning, 
King David, he experienced a close call. And he was, his life was in danger. But he comes out unscathed. And so he writes this psalm, Psalm chapter 34, in response to that incident. So the context of this psalm is uh, in chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 21. And basically what happened was David was running from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And he has this bright idea that he'll hide amongst King Saul's enemies, the Philistines. So, you know, he goes to this place called Gath, and he talks to King Achish, uh, the king at the time. But some of the king's servants recognize David, and probably fearing that they're going to imprison him or execute him, David has another right idea. He decides to act insane. It says that he made marks on the door of the gate, probably kind of like clawing at it with his nails, and he let his drool run down his beard. And he acted like a madman. And they don't want to deal with that. So they just let him go. And... and and David goes up, he runs away, he escapes, and he writes Psalm 34 in response to that. So that's kind of the context of what inspired the writing of this psalm. Now if we dive right in and start with the psalm, we see that this psalm, just like so many other psalms in the Bible, right, it starts with praise. And it reads, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak His praises. I will boast only to the Lord that all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness, let us exalt his name together. Honestly, I don't think praise was the first thing that was on my lips immediately after my car didn't crash, but, you know, I was grateful. Grateful that it wasn't worse than it was. Grateful that there were no other cars on the road. And I truly do believe that God had a hand in it. That he prevented me from going straight into a wall of concrete. And while we don't know what the exact timeline was of David responding in this psalm, but the first thing we see that he does right is praise. And notice that he doesn't say, I will praise the Lord because of what he's done, or because he saved me, or because of this or that. I'm sure that was a part of his praise. But he simply says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. Because I think for David, even though God answered his prayers and saved him from the hands of the Philistines, the praise on his lips is not only for that. It is a constant act, whether in the face of danger or in the safety of his home. But we'll come back to that, so keep that in mind, this notion of praising God at all times. But if we continue in verse 4 to 7, we see that David did, what, what David did, and how God responded in this situation. Verse 4, it says, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. David prayed to the Lord, and he answered him. How did he answer? He freed him from all his fears. Now when it says that David prayed, it can also be translated as, I sought the Lord, or I consulted, I inquired, I searched, I looked to the Lord. And in the next verse, verse 5, it says, Those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Last week, Pastor Yudho shared from Psalm chapter 80, and she explained that, When the psalmist prays, Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. There is this notion that our backs are to God or that we're looking to the back of God, that His face is not shining on us, that we're not face-to-face -face with Him. But then when we are face-to-face -face with Him, we see His power, His majesty, His glory. And so David says here that when you do look to the Lord for help, when you look to His face, your own face becomes radiant with joy. And that's the truth that David held on to, that those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy, no shadow of shame will darken their faces. And this is why he's able to pray, to seek, to look to the Lord, because he believes this to be true. 
But is that what our prayer lives look like? like? Do we truly look to the Lord for help? Or is he just an afterthought? Is he sort of our fallback plan when things aren't going our way? Are we, as David continues in verse 6, in desperation praying to God? Now the desperation here that David is speaking of is not simply an emotional desperation where you feel like you've exhausted all your resources and you have nothing else and so now, as a last resort, you're going to turn to the Lord. The desperation here is humility. It's a desperation of recognizing from the get-go how small and incapable you are and how powerful and capable God is. Recognizing that God is the only source and person that you can turn to and place your full trust in. And Proverbs 22.4 says that humility is the fear of the Lord. And so in the next verse, verse 7, when it says, For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear the Lord. We can understand it to mean that he surrounds and defends all who are humble. Now the Bible isn't saying that if you fear the Lord and are humble, that calamity and tragedy will not happen. Right? It doesn't say that life will be happy-go-lucky and nothing bad will ever happen to you. It's saying that through those things, in the midst of those things, in the midst of the storms of life that no one is immune to, God is there. God will not let go. God will not forsake you or leave you. He will surround you and love you. And that's a promise that was sealed on the cross by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what David experienced in this passage. And that's what David wants us to experience. Verse 8, he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the first imperative of Psalm 34, where David's not just explaining uh, that he's tasted and seen for himself, but he's directing the reader of the psalm. Us, to go seek it for yourself. Go, taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. Now, I'm not the type of person that speaks in extremes uh, that often, especially when it comes to food, because I like most foods, and I'll try pretty much anything. But there is one food that I can say that I love and am very passionate about. Um, and as a native of the state of Maryland, it's our pride and joy, our state crustacean, the blue crab. I know Pastor Justin, you guys were just in Maryland. Did you guys have some blue crab? Mm, I'm jealous. Um, so whenever anyone asks me what I miss about Maryland, that's usually my go-to answer. Of course there's family and friends too, but I really just now that I'm in New England, it's lobster this and lobster that. But for me, I'll take blue crabs over that any day. I mean, don't get me wrong, lobster is good too, but you know, nothing beats that tender, juicy, slightly sweet, <coughs> white meat. That's seasoned with this old bay seasoning that you don't really know what it is, but it tastes so good. Now, I'm not talking about the can of meat that you buy at the grocery store, but buying a bushel of whole crabs that you take home and you share with your friends and family. It's not just the literal taste of the crab, but there's more to it. If you've ever had a blue crab cooked whole in its shell, you know that getting to the actual meat is quite the process. You don't actually, and you don't, you don't actually get that much meat. That's all part of the experience that makes it so good, because there's this anticipation of getting to that juicy meat, and trying to do it in a way to maximize how much you'll get, and to how efficiently you can do it. And it's just so satisfying when you pull that big chunk of meat, after working so hard, cracking and breaking the shell apart. And then when you do this with all your friends and family with you, it just adds this whole other level to it. So I can talk to you all day about 
uh, how delicious blue crabs are and how great of an experience it is to buy yourself a bushel and share it with friends. But unless you go and do it for yourself, you'll never truly know. David experienced firsthand the goodness of the Lord. And he knew personally the joy of taking refuge in him. Just as I want you all to experience the goodness that is the blue crab, David wants us to experience the goodness of God. But more than that, God himself wants you to experience his goodness. We see that most evident at the cross where he sent his only son to die the death that we deserve. Not so he would gain anything, but that we would gain everything. But how do we truly taste and see that the Lord is good? How do we experience the fullness, the goodness of the cross? Do we have to ask him for a near-death experience to fully appreciate it? Or maybe it's the Lord's Supper, where we literally taste the bread and the juice that represent the body and blood. So we know in our heads that the Lord is good, that the cross of Christ shows how much He loves us. But do we truly know deep in our hearts and souls? And if not, how can we? I think it circles back to the beginning of this passage, where it said, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak His praises. That's not really practical or maybe even possible that we speak his praises constantly, always, right? And it would be hard to have a conversation with him. But what David is expressing here is the posture of his heart and mind. The way that he thinks, where his affections, his attention, his focus, at all times they are directed towards the Lord. So whether he's in a dire situation or not, his heart, soul, and mind are postured to the Lord. And that's what it means to fear the Lord, is to be in complete reverence and adoration of Him. Yes, He is a terrifying God. He has the power to both destroy body and soul, so we should fear Him in that sense. But when the Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, and it leading to riches and honor and life, it's speaking of this reverence and awe and adoration, this humility we have to have before the Lord. Because when He becomes the number one priority in your life, when he becomes your obsession, the thing that you cherish most and look to, that's when you truly taste and see that the Lord is good. Because the goodness of God is all around us. It's in everything that he created. It's in his people. It's in us. But are we aware? Are our spiritual taste buds working properly? Taste is a sense. It involves perception. When something touches our tongue, our taste buds activate, and it tells our brain that uh, it tells our brain, and then our brain starts to process it and perceives it as something good that we enjoy, or something bad that's displeasing and we spit it out. But if our tongue, our taste buds, our nerves, our brain, whatever part is involved with taste, isn't working properly, and something is numb, or and we can't taste or, or taste well, that's there's there's no way of knowing whether something's good or not. And that's one of the reasons why we're praying for revival. We need our spiritual senses to be awakened, to be uh, renewed, to be revived. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul explains that the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. To truly taste and see that the Lord is good, we need the Holy Spirit to give us is spiritual understanding. And spiritual understanding is not just knowledge that we store in our heads. 
It's not simply an intellectual endeavor. But as Jonathan Edwards puts it, it's a sense of the heart. It involves our senses, it's, it's, it involves our emotions, it's experiential. And so what are we doing to develop and exercise our spiritual senses? Our ability to understand God and hear what He's saying to us. This is why we have spiritual disciplines and practices in our lives. Because God is spirit. And it's with our spirits that we can most intimately connect to Him and experience His goodness. And so as I end today, I just want to offer three practices to help us begin to hone our spiritual sense, to become more aware of God so that we can truly taste and see that He is good. And these aren't anything new or groundbreaking. These aren't any fresh revelations. These are the basics. But the first thing is to pray. This is, prayer is the place where you can experience God in the most intimate way. Just like David did, he sought the Lord in prayer with humility. And again, that means we posture ourselves towards God. We let every part of our being, our mind, our heart, our spirit, be postured towards God. You know, the other day I had this moment where I just stopped myself and I thought, I thought, dude, you're talking to yourself in your head right now. That's so weird. But so interesting at the same time. Maybe it's just me, but I don't know. I just had this moment where I realized that I was in my head talking to myself and having this conversation. But what would it be like if we consciously made God a part of that conversation. You know, maybe you don't want to waste God's time on minuscule things and don't want to, um, you don't think most of what goes on in your head is worthwhile. Or maybe you're afraid to let him in on some of these things. Well, the truth is God already knows, right? He knows everything. But unless we actively engage God in conversation, unless we bring him into it and we're aware that he's there, we aren't going to know what he's saying, what he thinks, what he feels. Conversation is a two-way street. And so pray. Pray in private. Pray with others. Pray in your head. Engage God in conversation. As we've been announcing, the whole month of August is dedicated to prayer. We've been gathering for sacred space every Saturday. And this is a prayer meeting, yes. But it's also just a place for us to come seek the Lord, to experience, to begin to experience His goodness, to enjoy His presence, to hear from Him. This is an opportunity for us to begin to sharpen our spiritual senses. The second thing is to study the scriptures. And scripture is the foundation of any kind of spiritual understanding. It's how we make sense of it all. But don't just read the scriptures like you read any other book. Engage it as the living word of God. And to do that, you need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so every time you open up the Bible, pray and seek and ask the Spirit to reveal to you what, it has, what He has for you, to give you understanding. And do this in community. You know, each of us carries a unique perspective, and God illumines the Scripture to us in different ways. And so if we're reading and studying it together, we can get a better sense of what God might be saying. And if you're looking for a place to study Scripture together, you know, Pastor Joseph has been leading a study on Thursdays, and so you can contact him for more information. And lastly, let's keep each other accountable. Get an accountability partner. Find someone to hold you accountable to prayer and reading of the Word, and do that for them too. And do it together. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. 
Right? Accountability is the way that we can help each other sharpen our spiritual senses. And be intentional about it. You know, don't try to just transform your existing friendships and relationships into accountability ones. That might not be the best idea, unless both of you want to and agree and kind of come up with a plan. But be intentional, right? You can't force anyone or yourself to be accountable, hold each other accountable. There needs to be that intentionality. So pray, read the scripture, and keep each other accountable. Three basic things. But we need revival. This is why we do these. We need revival in even the basics of things. Because God wants you to experience His goodness. To taste and see that He is good. He says in Jeremiah 29, 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So let's do that today. Let me pray for us. Lord, we want to taste and see that you are truly good. But we recognize that our spiritual senses have become dull. Revive us, O Lord. Holy Spirit, move us. Help us to experience.